Welcome to episode 10 of Mansi, a podcast about the history of magic and its impact on our culture. Each episode, we cover a different method of Mansi or method of magic. I'm RJ Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, Elle. I'm Elle Alder. I've been a professional psychic for seven years, and I'm a solitary eclectic witch. Hi, Emily here. The jerkwad ghost that got summoned in the Ouija board episode. Let me drop some cursed knowledge on ya. Energy drinks have killed 34 people since 2004. Them's amateur numbers. Water has killed over 300,000 people every year. Then it kills even more people just for not drinking it. Water is the most haunted beverage you could ever drink. And liquid death mountain water comes straight from the Austrian Alps, where nearly 300 people die on average each year. The ghosts and demons in each can of liquid death will murder your thirst. Whenever you break the seal and consume the water inside, you're left with a 100% recyclable aluminum can. When you recycle a can of liquid death, you're dabbling with powers beyond your understanding and calling forth death to plastic. Plastic is a betrayer that belongs in the lowest circle of hell because even supposedly recycled plastic still ends up in the landfill. Each can of liquid death you buy will make sure plastic is punished for its sins. Available at liquiddeath.com or any Whole Foods location. What makes some objects feel cursed and others seem blessed? Some believe that objects have leftover energy from the people who have used them or been in contact with them. Some psychics and magicians have been able to use these objects to channel the leftover energy and learn secret information. This is called psychomancy, or psychometry. This practice is most famously used by psychic detectives to find missing persons and solve murders. Now, Elle, I just want to ask, have you ever considered becoming a psychic detective? Literally not one time. Not <laughs> my entire life, no. <laughs> um, why, why not? Um, I think, well, so my approach to the work that I do is, and just with anything in my life, I just try to help one person at a time. Um, anytime I work with someone, it's just about them. It's about what I can offer them, about what they need from me in that certain day, and focusing on that. So I try to help the world like 30 minutes to an hour at a time, <laughs> just one little piece. And I think that psychic detectives can get in over their head. And um I think also I have actually seen and I know that people get very attached to what psychics say. And if you're wrong or if you get the wrong information, that's bad. And um, I have not heard of like a single instance of a psychic detective either being right, it going well, or them not having some like horrendous <laughs> backlash. And I'm not like real interested in that. I get called the fraud. I get hunted down by like religious sycophants that tell me I'm going to go to hell. I don't. I don't need all of that. So, so like, um, you're like, like the Gandalf theory, 
Like Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I have found that it is the very small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. Yeah. Is that kind of the theory? It's like help somebody out with their shitty relationship and then you won't have to help somebody out with a murder later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a good way. Also, I just feel like, you know, like psychic detectives just to me want to be so great. They just they want to like be the, the psychic that turns the whatever the fuck they think they're going to do. And I just don't think that's it. I don't think that it's really that helpful. But I'm excited to hear about some people who think it is good. So at the end of this episode, Elle is going to use an object for a psychometry reading. This is going to be our episode on psychometry. Divination by channeling the energy left over in objects. Now, before we begin, I've got an extra spell from our sponsors, our first sponsor. And they're providing us with some killer Mansi merch that will be available very soon. And I think y'all are going to like this short little extra story I have about objects that can hold leftover energy and how that's impacted history. Uh, The magical rule about this leftover energy is called the Law of Contagion. This extra spell is brought to you by Wasatch Wearables on Etsy. While so much of magic is constantly put up for debate and the rules of it seem to shift around depending on who's talking, some rules of magic are universally accepted. In fact, much of magic's rules seem to exist in multiple cultures that have never contacted one another. (laughs) One such law is the Law of Contagion, which states that once two people or objects or places have been in contact, a magical link can persist between them unless or until a formal cleansing, consecration, exorcism, or other act of banishing breaks the non-material bond. The law of contagion exists in most of the world's religions. For example, the consecrated ground of a church due to its connection with religious leaders, ceremonies, and iconography. Okay. We see this especially with holy relics, uh, such as the Lance of Longinus, which is the spear that pierced Jesus' side. It's also called the Spear of Destiny. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm not a big, like, Christian, like, all this stuff, but, like, RJ has a huge background in Christianity and was raised LDS, and I am, like, was a heathen born and bred man, like, also, born, maybe. <laughs> I, I actually knew a poet whose stage name was the Chocolate Spear of Destiny. That, I want to meet them so bad. He <laughs> was an all right dude. Weird stage name, though. Weird, yeah. And I had no idea that he was connecting it to the Lance of Longinus by, I'm assuming he's talking about his penis. Yeah, that uh, was my assumption as well. And I was like, well, spear now, of you know, yeah. Um, this spear belonged to the Roman soldier Longinus, who used it to pierce the side of Jesus. Longinus then, you know, like converted and became a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lance's connection to Longinus and Jesus has supposedly imbued it with great magical power. The Holy Lance of Vienna was believed to be the Lance of Longinus, and when Austria was annexed by Germany during World War II, 
the Nazis took possession of the lance and displayed it in front of the Reichstag building in 1938. The same Reichstag building that was burned down in 1933 and rebuilt under Nazi control. So it's kind of their like little symbol of fascist takeover. Nice. The lance would serve as a sort of holy regalia, a symbol which justified the actions of the Nazis and showed that they had God on their side. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> We've got the magic stick, so we're going to win. <laughs> uh, that's, I think, my issue with religion is how many ways people have been like, no, no, no. I'm right. I've got the magic because stick. Because I'm... Yeah. It's the magic talking stick, and <laughs> it just gets this, passed around. Look at my spear of destiny. <laughs> what they're doing is right. I've got the destiny spear. Um, no. <laughs> the Allies would later recover the lance in 1945 beneath Nuremberg Castle in a secret room, which was bricked up in a secret basement. The lance would be returned to Austria, and in 2003, for a documentary, it would be scientifically tested. The lance was dated to the late 8th or early 9th century, not, you know... The first century. I was going to say, that's a little off from <laughs> yeah. Jesus. There were also no traces of blood, ancient or otherwise, found anywhere on the lance. There is no evidence, aside from centuries of belief, that this lance belonged to Loginus or stabbed Jesus at all. Is that not most of Christianity? <laughs> Just so many years of people believing it to be true. There there are other, like, Lance of Loginus supposed spears. Okay. Um, some of them have been lost through history. One of them, like, a monk had a dream. It was buried somewhere, and then he woke up and dug it up, and he's like, I have the Holy Lance, everybody. And then it got lost in some war or something. Hmm. <laughs> yep. But, yeah. was the extra spell brought to you by Wasatch Wearables. Wasatch Wearables specializes in dye subliminated products. The ink chemically binds with the polyester fibers of the fabric or substrate when heated. There is absolutely no feel to the design, and it will last the lifetime of the garment. This method is superior to other ink transfers like vinyl and screen printing, which can crack and fade over time. They can subliminate onto signs, tote bags, mugs, masks, business cards, ornaments, shirts, sweatshirts, aprons, ties, and so much more. They can subliminate onto all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, you can find Wasatch Wearables on Facebook, Instagram, or Etsy. Use the promo code MANCY for 10% off your purchase and to let them know that they uh, haven't wasted their time. <laughs> um, I do want to add in here, I know both the owners of Wasatch Wearables and they are phenomenal people. And the sublimination um, technique that it actually binds with the fabric is actually to help people with sensory disorders that don't like to feel things on their clothes. Um, but one of the owners is extraordinarily passionate about taking care of people with autism and um really finds that these products make it so people who have sensory issues don't have to feel their weird fabric stuff or like the screen printing but can still enjoy really good products also they love custom orders and they're super happy to help you um she did let me know that if you wanted to order something custom to hit her up on facebook or instagram and they can help their etsy site is 
kind of in transition right now, but you can always find them there. And their Mansi merch is dope. Oh, they sent us so the samples. Good. It looks so good. I'm so excited um, to put it on our website when I finalize the website. <laughs> We're um, excited about it. Those centuries of belief about, you know, the Lance and the Holy Grail and all these objects, they come from the law of contagion which is connected to the subject of today's episode, psychometry is the ability to tap into the law of contagion and divine secret knowledge from objects or places. Um, I'm sure if you touch that fake Lance of Longinus, there's like tons of history with it, um, yeah. even though it's not the, the Jesus-y Lance. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that there's just a lot of hatred uh, soaked into that. Psychometry is not only used with objects, but also with people. So if you ever get a reading from someone and they want to hold your hand or they want to touch you in some way, not in a weird way, but just like holding your hand, touching your arm, something like that, that's their way of tapping into your energy. So people use psychometry not only with objects, but with clients as well. Yeah. So psychometry is under the umbrella of psychomancy. And psychomancy is simply communication between souls, living or dead. It overlaps with necromancy a little bit, but necromancy is specifically to do with the dead. Um, psychometry is a method of psychomancy that uses physical touch to do that. Um, by applying the law of contagion, the psychic or psychomancer can use the energy left on an object or just like feel the emanating energy like from an object. Um, RJ just like wiggled his fingers, I did magic like pulled fingers. the closer, he's like feeling the energy. Yeah. <laughs> and by applying the law of contagion, a psychic or psychomancer can use the energy left over to create a soul link mm. <laughs> to uncover certain information. That sounds like an anime, like soul link. Ka-ching, ka-ching, and then like there's like the transition where they look partially naked and then they have like their super clothes on. Or, such a is nerd. that a thing? Is that a thing in Bleach? Is that what he calls it? Soul Link? I don't know. Um, oh, like, I need to get my Bankai. Soul Link. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a dork. Um, yes. While psychometry and the law of contagion have tons of examples throughout history, the most pertinent modern example is the psychic detective. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Actually, I, I fucking love the idea of, like, psychic detectives. Um, because, Why? Okay, just in pop culture. So, like, uh, you're probably thinking of shows like Psych. There's also Yu Yu Hakusho, which is that 90s anime we okay. were watching in the basement yeah. the other night. Um, <laughs> you know, when I mentioned like psychic detectives or spirit detectives the trope uh, of the occult detective goes all the way back to the late 1800s with the experiences of flaxman low <laughs> flaxman flaxman low imagine like having a baby or no like worse imagine someone picking that name like, for their character like, yeah okay anyway it's fine the experiences of Flaxman Lowe were a set of psychic detective stories written by mother-son duo Kate Pritchard and, and this is his real name, Major Hesketh Vernon Hesketh Pritchard. What? His name is Major Hesketh Vernon Hesketh Pritchard. So on his ACT, when he was like doing the little bubble letters to fill it out, like on all standardized tests, was that just like the longest? It wouldn't fit. It would not fit in all the boxes. For real? Yeah. 
For real, he was Major Hesketh Verdon Hesketh Pritchard was just one of those like Teddy Roosevelt, like safari adventurer, like <laughs> yeah. big game. Like for real, that was just him. And then his mom was what like, is- shall we write psychic detective stories? <laughs> I have so much going on in my brain. But what did he go by? Like, what was he like? This I'm, is I'm pretty me- sure just Hesketh since he has it twice in his name. Oh, yeah. Super common. Uh, all right. You know what? Oh, actually, no. He went by Hesketh Pritchard. So his friends called him Hesketh? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and their their character, Flaxman, would solve spooky (laughs) mysteries using his scientific knowledge and his knowledge of the occult. Mm -hmm. So he'd be like, I'm a great scientist, but also I know about ghosts and I can Sherlock Holmes things about you. Okay. The stories of their psychic scientist detective would appear periodically in Pearson's magazine, and this would be the birth of the psychic detective in pop culture. What year was this again? Like 1890. Okay, so we're kind of hitting up on that, the spiritual, like mm-hmm. the, the wave. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, plus, there's all these, like, secret societies and shit, like the Golden Dawn and shit, like, going around, like, that people have, like, sort of heard about. So, it makes sense that, you know, you'd write a story about this esoteric group you knew nothing about and fill in the gaps with fiction. Yes. Um, I would also say that this was kind of the time when technology, I mean, technology to solve murder cases has not really been good up until recently. But I think that that was kind of the time in science when people were becoming more like, oh, there might be more ways to do this. So maybe they think like we're going to use a psychic because they're the only ones that could solve. I don't know. Well, the first record we have of an actual psychic detective solving a crime is in 1692. In France, the king hired a dowser to help solve a sensational meat cleaver murder case. And I couldn't find a lot of info about it uh, other than in a uh, textbook for police officers for when to consult a psychic detective. Uh, The the answer is almost never. Um, (laughs) But uh, almost. (laughs) Almost never, but sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't find tons of info on this specific case, even though it said sensational in the textbook. Um, but we do know that the crime was solved thanks to, thanks to some dude and his dousing rods. Okay. He's just, just hovering with his Like, rods. to find the... Did they, like, point out the murderer? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was, like, the king gathered everybody and he's like, All right, Jeremy, it? I want you to use your dousing rods to find the guilty person in the crowd. And then, like, the crowd's, like, Wedding, like <laughs> probably um, just more being freaked out. Like if you think that psychics are real, you know, like is it you? Yeah. Is it you? The rod like points down, points toward somebody, and they're like, and oh, goes, no me. Oh. And then he like moves, and then the rods like follow him as he like tries to run away, and he like I hides behind a guy. Thing. <laughs> He's like, it was him. It's pointing at him. It's sensational <laughs> is what that was. <laughs> We'll do an episode on dowsing another time. Yeah, we should. uh, Psychic detectives have actually had a surge in the 21st century. We're kind of, you know, riding the wave a bit of, like, psychic detective fever uh, with the rise of the pseudo-documentaries in the likes of, like, Discovery Channel, History, ID, you know, the pseudo-educational television, Mm -hmm. um, which shows, like, psychic detectives and psychic investigators. So we're 
writing, they, they were just, these shows were riding the true crime wave out of the 90s, but they needed a gimmick, you know? Yeah, well, and I wonder if, like, part of spirituality being so popular was, like, the rise of, like, the psychic detective stuff, along with, like, Teresa Caputo that gave us, like, this weird whatever the fuck we have going on now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh... I remember my mom just, like, loved, like, these true crime shows, like Unsolved Mysteries, Fact or Fiction, and she loved the psychic detective um, shows, too. Killer Women, that's the that's where it's at. That was my favorite one. Yeah. Um, and this helped to create a whole new class of celebrity psychics. Yeah. They would go on talk shows, you know, do all kinds of... I'm sure everybody is familiar with the modern celebrity psychic. Yeah, like Teresa Caputo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so many of them, yeah. And there's tons of books out there written by these celebrity psychics about their exploits and the crimes they solved. This, of course, in addition to the myriad TV shows and documentaries, there's interviews and news reports. It's hard to narrow down, like, specifically what to talk about, but I'm going to go over some specific cases and go over their methods a bit and (laughs) some of the common methods these psychic detectives would use were telepathy, dowsing, clairvoyance, remote viewing, mediumship, and of course, psychometry. Yeah. Now, I know that sounds like a list of just like X-Men powers. (laughs) 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 uh, Professor X is like, oh, I found another telepath. Holy shit. It's Teresa Caputo. Um, (laughs) She's like, what? I don't want to join your club. I just want to talk to dead people's mom. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I already explained what psychometry is, but we'll just go over. Mm -hmm. Telepathy is when you can read a person's mind. Dowsing involves using two metal rod, rods shaped in an L to point you in the right direction of your answers. Uh, clairvoyance is seeing the future or future sight. Um, remote viewing is like omnivision or like mind sight, which allows you to perceive things that are distant or just out of your sight line. Like you can look in a house and then see in the house. Well, I would say that remote viewing is like a subclass of clairvoyance. And clairvoyance can be a lot of different things. But yeah, if you're to be a, a true remote viewer, you have to have like your incredible like clairvoyance has to be your main source of information gathering. And uh, I mean, I should say with clairvoyance, it's not just seeing the future. There's also so that's precognition. There's also postcognition, which yeah. allows you to see the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've talked a lot about mediumship already mm-hmm. on the show and the communicating with the dead and necromancy. Um so, you know, the ghost can tell you how they died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. Is a convenient uh, witness, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that only one person can talk to. Um, now, most of these psychic detectives are actually just private detectives that market their psychic abilities to get clients. Okay. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are TV celebrities. The most common cases I've seen involving psychic detectives are missing persons, kidnapping, or murder. You know, the crazy shit. Yeah. Like, not a lot of people are hiring a psychic detective to be like, is my wife cheating on me? They'll just find a normal psychic for that. Um, We saw last (laughs) week after um, RJ and I recorded, we were, like, driving, and we saw a car that was, like, 
What was it was to find your cheating spouse or something? Yeah, it was like three cars yeah. all in a line, On identical, a yeah. in vinyl wrap that said like the Cheat Squad. Yeah, I think it was called the Cheat Squad, <laughs> and I was like, listen, <laughs> I should go over there and be like, hey, you guys really need a psychic. Maybe they were this. filming a TV show. I don't know. It was very weird. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the most high-profile missing persons cases that happened kind of around the height of this whole psychic detective shit was Elizabeth Smart. And mm. being that we're from Utah, we, of course, got very wrapped up in this in our yeah. youth. Um, which, like, honestly, looking back, I'm like, did people just give a shit about Elizabeth Smart because she was, like, blonde and white? Um, I, that's the thing that was so weird about Elizabeth, Elizabeth Smart. Yeah, and also rich. Um, well, yeah, and because I remember the day they found her. We were, I was in school, I was like in fourth grade, and we were watching it. Like, they turned on the news for us to watch um, when Elizabeth Smart had been found. Like, it was that big of a deal that they interrupted our school day to talk about it. Yeah. It was, it was very strange. It was probably one of the most sensationalized, like, things that I've had, you know. I think maybe part of it is that... We remember it because she was found alive. Like, I think that has to be mm -hmm. part of it. That, like, that kind of gives people who've, like, had their children kidnapped or lost them that they might find them again. So I think it was highly sensationalized when they were trying to find her, probably because they had enough money to pour into finding her. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that they did find her was a miracle, yeah. for sure. And uh, the police received, in the Elizabeth Smart case, 9,000 tips from people citing dreams or psychic visions or remote viewing. Psychic detectives <laughs> petitioned the Smart family over and over to let them go into Elizabeth's room and perform psychometry to find her. Ed Smart is cited as saying, the family didn't get any valuable information from psychics. Is that the dad? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would assume not. Yeah. <laughs> the just random psychics calling in because I think they wanted to, like, be the one, like, I know where she is and, like, ride the sort of sensational well, wave. And the other thing is, is that you, like, I mean, I've talked a lot about how you have to um, translate the information you're being given from spirit. They could, like, a tip could be like, I saw darkness. <laughs> like, and they'd be like, oh, no, no, no. I tapped into Elizabeth Smart and it was dark. It's probably dark wherever she is because she's hidden. Like, those are not. Anyway, people really take their, like, psychic tips to the extreme. And they're like, this is really going to help. When a lot of times, like, people will be like, like, um, RJ's cat got out, I don't know, a month ago. And I was like, yeah, it's dark and I see wood. And did yeah. that help at no, all? Not helpful. No, that didn't help. But not that helpful. was for sure what I got. Like, like cool. Yeah, I mean, I live near the canyon. There's lots of greenery and like. Yeah, and I was like, there's wooded, a fence. Wooden, and there... wooden fences and even fucking cabins. You yeah, know? like uh, anyway, a not, lot of times that's that's like the tips that they're gonna have like, that don't help anything. Cool. He didn't get put in a metal box. Like, yeah, I'm like great. Okay, <laughs> he didn't get kidnapped that way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's kidnapped in a wooden box. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a crate. Mm -hmm. um, God. So uh, another pertinent kidnapping at the time that I didn't really remember. And I think it's because in Utah, Elizabeth Smart just like overshadowed just so freaking everything. Yeah. But this was around the same time. And they were the Ariel Castro kidnappings between 2002 and 2004. Ariel Castro kidnapped three girls, 21 year old Michelle Knight, 16 year old Amanda Berry and 14 year old Gina De Jesus. Amanda Berry was kidnapped in 2003, and in 2004, 
Her mom appeared on several talk shows, including The Oprah Winfrey Show. While she was on The Montel Williams Show, she met with psychic detective Sylvia Brown. Brown told Barry's mother, she's not alive, honey. And, the claim, and she claimed to have a psychometric connection to Amanda Berry's jacket, claiming she had a vision that the jacket was in a garbage can. Sylvia said that Amanda Berry was dead in water. This absolutely broke the mother's heart. It caused her to take down the missing person's photos and stuff from the internet and give away her missing daughter's computer. Her mother died two years later, believing her daughter was dead. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, is um, a lot of, and I've talked about this before, but people who are going through a lot of trauma are not completely on earth in their body experiencing stuff because there's a split of like, and this happens with like um, disassociative identity per, uh, disorder where people just like create like this other thing that can cope with it of like, I can't handle what I'm going through. So I'm just going to make this other thing that can. And so when you're tapping into it, for sure, people can feel like they're on the other side and still be alive. Also like, uh, tapping into the energy. So basically the way that a lot of times I read is I pull on threads of energy. So if I pull on the thread of energy from that reading, it's like I can totally see the jacket in the trash can. And I think it has blood on it. Like I could see exactly what she was seeing, but I wouldn't have associated that with her being dead because probably the kidnapper would have wanted to get rid of the clothes that she was in and put her in different ones. So it's easier to say that this isn't the person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, also, it's just a safe bet because 98% of these kidnappings result of course, in, in right. the death of the kidnapped person. And I think, like, this is the thing that bothers me is, like, people get too big for their britches and think that they know everything and think that they can solve every single thing that's going on when, like, a lot of times all of these people... <laughs> who, like, gave shitty psychic tips could have been like, you know, I don't think I'm getting anything. Or what I'm getting is so inconclusive that it can't actually help you. And that does ten times more good but than it also, just lying. It, it also doesn't make good TV. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, this is probably why I'm not a millionaire, because I believe in being ethical, which is super unfortunate. But that's okay. So, of course, Amanda Berry wasn't dead. She and the other girls were being held captive by Ariel Castro. Amanda was a prisoner for 10 years, even having a daughter by her kidnapper. Castro would often leave doors unlocked or partially open to test his prisoners. He would wait on the other side, and as soon as they tried to escape, he would beat them severely. One day, in 2013... Amanda Berry took a chance on an unlocked door, finding it to be a genuine mistake by her captor. She was brave enough to say, I'm going to risk getting the shit beat out of me. Um, so I just mean, for this, this sliver of escape, right? She yeah. didn't let him like gaslight her that way. Super brave. She was able to escape, contact the neighbors, and the other girls were rescued. Ariel Castro hung himself in his jail cell. He took a plea bargain before committing suicide, which included the demolishing of his house that he used as their prison. Mm. The survivors were present at the demolition, and they handed out yellow balloons to represent missing children. Spectators watched as the house was brought down with a wrecking ball. Google blurred out the image of the house on Street View as well, out of respect for what happened. 
to this day, it's still blurred out. Amanda Berry's... I'm sorry. Was I talking to you, Google? I'm fucking leaving that in. God damn it. Okay. I don't want to look at your blurred out house right now, Google. I already saw it when I did the research. We already did this. Um, Amanda Berry's mother would never know her grandchild or know that her daughter survived. Like... That's why. I mean, you want to know. I mean, I just take my work too seriously. And I understand the impact that it has on people to think that I could, like, put myself at the same level as detectives and people that are genuinely trying to help. I just think that this all of this stuff comes from so much ego and just so much of, like, I just want to be right. And, I mean, that psychic literally took this woman's life. I mean, that's what it is, is she just took any hope out of it. And how do you as a parent cope with the idea of losing a child? Like, how could you? I couldn't even imagine that. So, and I've seen that a lot in my clients. I mean, that grief is just so big. And also, by the time she was saved, by the time she ran away, was able to get away, then her mom is gone. So, it's, Mm -hmm. like, in a lot of ways, really tragic. I mean, I think her mom had underlying health issues. Maybe they were exacerbated by this heartbreak but people die of a broken heart yeah. i mean there there comes a point i've seen it a lot where people um just probably should have died so many times like my father is one of those people that definitely has like nine lives like he literally fell off of a mountain like last year and he's fine he's like some weird like brain stuff but other than that is totally fine and um that a lot of times is attributed to wanting to live through something and i've seen people with like pretty simple illnesses or like going through stuff and they just don't have that kind of hope or anything that makes it worth living through and so regardless of whether or not you view that as the psychic actively doing that i believe that that psychic is in some way responsible for her mom dying yeah and i mean there are other cases where the psychic um where sylvia brown like i went to her website and everything um where she was more successful and she had you know good like um I guess, reviews on her website. I think that it doesn't matter how many good things you do if you cause something like that. Oh, man. I don't. Like, it's that's not a mistake. That's awful. Like, that's a horrendous thing. It is It is a horrendous thing. Um, it is very horrendous. I'm kind of harsh, though. Yes. So that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I am definitely harsh. I can be a little more forgiving, though, because when I was working as an EMT, there were definitely mistakes that I made that resulted in awful things happening. But you weren't a psychic that was like, by golly and by gosh, look at how wonderful I am as a psychic. Yeah, I also was being paid $9 an hour and just, like, had to work three jobs and working 80 hours a week. So right. <laughs> I have a little more of an excuse. That's, yeah. But, like, um, I just think, you know, you know what she could have done? She could have just not said anything. She could have just said, I'm not getting anything useful. I'm really sorry for this. How can I support you? Or can I offer you some? You know, there are so many things that I, as the psychic in that position, would have done completely differently. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, even if you even if she did think that her daughter was dead, it might have just been better to lie. And I know that, like, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I've like I've got a whole poem about this where called Deceit and I where. Um, some parents uh, have a roll over death with their baby um, and smother him in their sleep. And as an EMT, I lied and said that the kid died of SIDS so that they don't have to like deal with all the bullshit and like the oh, personal yeah. guilt and everything. And that's standard practice for a lot of like, you know, 
EMTs and paramedics yeah. and medical people. And there were definitely people like in the comment section when that video went viral uh, and when it went viral on Imgur that were like, I hope those people die. I hope they rot. And I was like, no, you don't. You don't. No. Like, why would you why would you want more suffering in the world? Um, that's, I think, the thing that bothers me about a lot of psychics. And like, that's the thing that I think frustrates me is that I take my work very seriously. Like, you can hear that whenever I do readings, when I talk about it. I just take the work that I do really seriously. I really, really believe in it. And I believe in how much it can heal. But I'm also extraordinarily aware of how much it can hurt. And um, you have to be the responsible, reasonable person in that situation. Because if you have a mom who's missing her daughter that has been kidnapped coming to you and saying, I need help finding her, you're the one in control over that situation. You're literally the one that controls what she takes away from that. And I just want to know what good was done by this random psychic saying, oh, no, she's dead. Like, what good What good did that give anyone? How did that help a single person in that situation? Uh, I think... Um the desire to be right at yeah, a certain point yeah the ego just becomes, being in your ego becomes more important than the desire to help and that's a fucking problem that's that's my problem that i have with that that's the problem i have with a lot of celebrity psychics yeah but i mean it is a safe bet she was just wrong i but you're not as a psychic you're not betting you're not saying oh this is probably right you need to know or you need to not say anything mm. and that's that I will always I mean, stand by that. The same with, you know, fucking police and like real, uh, you know, detectives. Like they need yeah. to be right or they need to not make the accusation. And that's, yeah, like all of this stuff is just kind of that same way. I just will never, ever forgive people who work out of their ego, knowing the work that I do, knowing how hard it is, knowing, you know, kind of the life that I live, which it's been a rough week of people saying that I'm a fraud and like religious sycophants coming after me online and just like, oh, yeah, like that shit. one, the, the, I mean, that one like atheist zealot that was like, I am an atheist, um, but I'm not, you know, out here trying to like tell people that their beliefs are in, like going out of my way to like tell people their beliefs are invalid unless I can actively see that it's hurting someone right in front of me. Well, but people like Sylvia Brown are why people think that about me. It's mm. not just about these women or these these psychics that are so good that know everything that can predict it all and are right 100 percent of the time. This one lady wanted to come work for me and she was like, I have a 99 percent um, correct rate. And I had her do like a test reading for me because that's something I do when I work with people. I have them give me a free reading um, just to test it out. And I don't tell them anything. I just say, well, tell me whatever, like whatever you're picking up is what I want to know. And this bitch was like, I'm just seeing a lot of purple. You just need more purple in your life. And yeah, I'm seeing a man in your life. And like, bitch, if those are your predictions, yeah, you're going to be right. Like, that's <laughs> not saying anything. Like, what, like, what's wrong with you? Anyway, that bothers me. People like Sylvia Brown bother me. This whole thing about being right 100% and being able to predict like where people are, like nothing good comes out of that work. There isn't anything in that that's like worth all of the pain that they cause people. Mm -hmm. Just it just isn't. Yeah. I mean, in uh, in part one, we're definitely talking more about like the how psychic detectives <laughs> have fucked up royally. Um, in part two, uh, I'll examine some of the cases where the psychic detectives actually pulled it off. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I think that there's times and places for psychic work. And I think, 
in serious detective work. That's pro- probably not ever unless, which is exactly what they say, is not ever unless. Yeah. So, you know, um, I get it. So sometimes, speaking of uh, that book that that I went over, I just went over like the, the free pages that were on um, Google Books because it was an expensive textbook. Um <laughs> So sometimes the police themselves will hire a psychic detective. And there's several books for criminal investigators regarding how to deal with psychic evidence or when to hire a psychic detective. Because psychic detectives have extremely mixed results, but a little more on the unsuccessful side, maybe. Yeah. Um, Every resource, including the psychics themselves, like on every psychic website, they say that psychic detectives should only be used as a very last resort when all other methods have failed. Typically, they're used for cold cases or when departments get really desperate. But mostly when families get desperate and they pay out of their own pocket to hire a psychic detective. One such psychic um, that was brought in by police is Noreen Rayner. Um, and she still practices today. I went to her website, and she's got lots of success stories on her website. I'm not going to talk about one of those, though. Um, you can check those out <laughs> if you want on yeah. her website, uh, NoreenRainer.com. Um, and uh, she's often knows, known for using uh, psychometry to solve crimes and find missing per- persons, and has you know testimonials from officers she's worked with on her website, NoreenRainer.com. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. One particular case caught my eye because of her use of psychometry. In 1989, 19-year-old Kimberly McAndrew went missing in Nova Scotia. There was a serial killer on the loose at the time and a convicted sex offender named Andrew Johnson, whose brother had a property in Nova Scotia. Those were kind of their prime suspects. Um, The property was searched No evidence found. Six years after the disappearance, the police had no leads at all. Case had gone cold. So they turned to psychic detective Noreen Rayner. They would bring her in for numerous interviews and record them, uh, giving her items that belonged to Kimberly so that she could channel them and find her. Mm. She recorded all of these channeling sessions for the police, and I found the recordings online, but honestly, it sounds like a whole bunch of fucking gobbledygook. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, I see the we're through the woods, there's darkness, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to go over the highlights. Some of these are like, you know, hour-long channeling yeah. sessions. Um, and uh, a lot of what was in those channeling sessions was incongruent with existing knowledge about the case. For example, uh, she said, I'm going out the south side of the building, even though witness testimony stated that Kimberly was going out of the north exit. She would say her car has taken a short distance, even though Kimberly did not take her car on the day she disappeared. (laughs) Uh, Noreen also said, I want to go south. Maybe southeast, which led the police to a new search area for Kimberly, an area they were like, okay, finally, something. Yeah, we can do something something with this. We can look south. Of course, in a later session, the psychic said, I don't know which way is south. I really don't do maps. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do maps. You know, this is what thousand percent me. Like, people are like, oh, could you get a little bit more specific? And I'm like, bruh. I don't know. I, I'm, 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 this is all I get. <laughs> so 
the whole search area south of Kimberly's work was just this big old wild goose chase <laughs> that led to no leads. Uh, Noreen also channeled Kimberly herself to communicate with her mom, saying, What have you done to your hair? I don't know what you've done, but it's not the same as when I was there. I don't know. It's different. Which is like a weird thing to say when you've been missing for six years. Like your, you know, like spirit soul so enters someone. she was dead and they were trying to find her body or were they thinking that she was alive? They had no, they had no idea. They had no idea. Uh, she was just connecting to Kimberly's soul, basically using psychomancy and psychometry. Sorry, I just need a minute to, like, think about that. Um, that sounds like a thing that a person who is dead would say. That sounds like a message that I would get from someone who, like, basically what that would be if I got that would be that there's, like, your daughter's, like, really fixated on your hair. Like, there was something special about the hair, and now the hair is different because people who are dead don't perceive time in the same way. If this person was alive, probably, one, she couldn't really channel her, and two, um, she would know that it's been six years, so her mom's hair is probably going to be different. Yeah. So that would be indicative to me of this person being dead. Well, uh, <laughs> to her credit, uh, okay. I guess, she did not say, your daughter's dead, hun. She's dead in the water. No, I just, like, that's such a weird, like, uh, if it were me, which it is not. They didn't call me. They didn't say, hey, Elle, uh, could you work on this case for me? But if it were me, I like, my context clues would tell me that this bitch is dead and she doesn't know what's going on. Like, that's probably a really mean thing to say about this poor person. But... Like, I'd be like, okay, she's passed on, so now we need to change what we're looking for. And here's—it gets even fucking weirder. Um, so she goes on to say, in a Slavic accent sometimes. Just like a Russian, German, Austrian okay. accent. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. I saw Ken. Or it started with K-E-N. Now I don't know where his Kimberly is or who, but my knee could be my upper leg. I hurt so much there. Um, they what? did. Yeah. They revealed that the chief investigator of the case was named Ken, who had a bum leg. But oh. he wasn't a suspect at all, and he had a well, rock solid alibi to boot. No, so I would say that that's just. Uh, so that would not be a message to me about someone. Uh, being a suspect, that would be, oh, Ken's energy is really attached to this. And there's something like with his knee. So that message to me would be this. You're holding this energy in your leg and you've got this bum knee and you need to be able to clear that out. And I would say that that would be something holding him back. So I would like if that were me and that were the message that I got in a weird Slavic accent, maybe from Baba Yager, who knows who, <laughs> whatever you're doing, that that's what you get. That would be like Ken is attached to this case. Ken needs to deal with his knee. Like basically. Basically, the spirits are like, yeah, this whole case, not important. <laughs> Ken needs to get his knee looked at. <laughs> I don't know. This is why I'm not a psychic detective. Damn. <laughs> and no matter how many times the police asked, like, the pragmatic questions, though, the psychic could not name the abductor, could not give them a solid location, and she would lead them through just a maze of ambiguities. Like, how I see a street. This? I see. Literally, this went on for... I think over a year. There were six channeling sessions that were recorded that I found. And she's still a working psychic now? Uh-huh. 
She probably was so frustrated. Probably. These police officers were probably so frustrated. I, yeah. If I were them, I would have given up. I would have been like, yeah, this is probably not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I'm sure Ken was just fucking pissed. He's like, oh, my fucking knee. My fucking <laughs> knee hurts. Fucking, I don't I keep looking south, but I'll try and walk this, around. This psychic is telling. Yeah. My knee hurts and you made me walk around the pond in the south. I think Ken needs some medical marijuana <laughs> is what I think. I mean, this is this is Canada. He probably has health care. It's fine, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so she would lead them through this maze of ambiguities, like, I see a street with an S name, or I'm at work, it's 420. I want to see the odometer. <laughs> For real, just 420. 420, nice. <laughs> Blaze it, yeah, nice. Ken was probably like, nice. Got that medical marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, in later recordings, when they asked where she was, she said, yes, someplace popular. We, as in the family, went there more for a holiday, I think, one time. And then a bit later, there's a well. There's a big body of water, but I'm not there. I'm in the well. Then says, okay, let me go to the future and see when you find her. I would say, if it's not this month, it's next month. I have no doubt you'll find her. She then also gives conflicting information, naming a specific bridge and Point Pleasant Park, which had already been searched. And another search after she mentioned this just turned up nothing. Have they ever found her now? No. Like to this day? Kimberly has been missing for 31 years. Yeah, I would say Kimberly, like if you're asking me, I think that she probably was alive for the first little bit, like three years. And I think she died of like natural causes and or not natural causes, but like exposure. Uh, maybe like I'm seeing like exposure and I'm also seeing her being like pretty like cut up. Like I'm seeing like a lot of cuts. No wounds. Uh, Infection. No. Um, like she was beaten. And then I think exposure and just like her being like, I don't want to be alive anymore. Like just making a choice to not live through that. And then I do think that she was buried somewhere like near a body of water but the well just to me like this basically the information that she got from her is this is someone who's communicating with her family that is like close to crossing over has already crossed over and is like sending them confirmation about her being on the other side so basically like Kimberly's soul I think was so confused about what happened like I think like she's probably heavily disoriented probably drugged because I'm getting drugs too and the soul was like this is my family family I'm here like trying to say like I'm here. I know what's going on. Ken. Ken is working on the case. He's doing the case. He's got a bad knee. That's how you know that I know. But hi, I'm here. Like that. Like Kimberly was not giving any information that I would have listened to at all. It would have just been like, I think your daughter is on the other side, and this is the communication she wants to give to you. I like if this was me and I was on this case, and these were the messages that I was getting, I would have been like, you need to find a different psychic. And also, I think she's probably gone. Like that. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All of that can't be proven, but that just is not ethical to me. She continues in further recordings with more vague details about conflicting locations and is clearly struggling to keep her persona straight as she goes from item to item. So so it's hard to tell when she's talking as herself or when she's channeling Kimberly. Or Uh, the Slavic person. I don't think Kimberly had a Slavic accent. No, of course she she did. They're in Nova Scotia. This would be a person... (laughs) in my opinion, who needs additional training at working. Um, Also, I think that there's this like 
when you try, even if you're good at something, you can like try hard yourself out of success. Well, that's definitely a thing with like psychics, like in the work that I do, and especially with like mediumship. Um, because I had this is just like a quick story, but one time I had this woman, I was doing a psychic fair and she came and sat down with me and I was like, what can I help you with today? And she's like, I want to talk to my mother who's crossed over. And I was like, OK, so I like connect with her mom. And the first message I hear is um, you're doing you're doing a good job, Chris. That's what I heard. And so then I like looked at this woman and I was like, OK, who's Chris? Like, I didn't say the message. I just said, who's Chris? And she was like. I'm Chris. That's my name. And I was like, oh, uh, the message I got was you're doing a good job, Chris, like from your mother. And so there are a lot of those little things that like psychics do as you're learning and getting your feet under you that you second guess that because you don't want to be seen as a fraud or you don't want to be seen as portraying like incorrect information or giving people incorrect information. So then you limit what you're doing to try to like. Yeah, try hard yourself or like, no, I know I can do this. Like, that's the other thing is I think maybe part of the thing with Kimberly is maybe she's not supposed to be found. Maybe that's part of whatever she has. It's not not everything needs to be solved. Not everything needs to have like a clean little finished and a bow put on it for it to be perfect because we live in a very imperfect world. So this would be someone like I think she should have ducked out after the first channeling session, in my opinion. But Whatever. Um, I'm sure the police were also paying pretty good money. Well, I'm wondering how that would work. Like, well, Probably just her regular rate. I guess they hire her as like a consult or like yeah. a contractor, and then they just pay her out just, from like just police like, funds. Just like no. they would pay a private detective if they needed to hire a private detective. TBH, if we could take a little bit of the police budget and like <laughs> just send it to me, uh, that, I think I could do a lot more better stuff with it because I donate to all sorts of bail funds. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she keeps stringing them along, you know, as they beg to ask, like, where they'll find her or when they'll find her. And she concludes there's even a part where you can hear her, like, smiling and laughing. She's so confident in what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, you'll 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 find her before Christmas. A nice Christmas present for everybody. Ooh. Kimberly McDonald is still missing to this day. I don't like that I said that it needs to be wrapped up with a bow on it. And then the last bit of that was a Christmas present for everyone. That's fucking creepy to me. Well, um, I should find this family and be like, I'm sorry, the psychic did you wrong. Actually, I'm not going to do yeah, that. Don't but, do that. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Don't do, it's been 31 years. Don't is, do that. I'm sure that they just every day, you know, think about that. Also, the other thing I would say is like, this is an example of like, I think a spirit and a psychic who could have offered her family really genuine comfort and peace and advice and been there for them in a really hard time. And instead her ego stuck to it. And like, it's done nothing. It has done nothing for no one. Except, I guess, give her more money. Yeah. Well, every lead the department chased down was a dead end. And they spent tons of... So much money. They spent so much money manpower. On, like, manpower for these wild goose chase leads. And many believe it was the work of the serial killer that was on the loose, Michael Wayne McGray. But when he was questioned, he said he couldn't remember if she was one of his victims. And he couldn't remember where all of them were disposed of. He, yeah. I guess, was such a serial killer like baller that he doesn't even remember his victims yeah i think that's not true um but i also would say he probably didn't kill her but that's okay i'm just like now that we're like talking about this i'm like in the energy of it and i'm like nope nope no yeah it's a mystery it is to this day it's one i think there might have been an unsolved mysteries episode about it actually i'm sure we could find some other podcast that's covered it oh yeah for sure sure i saw i saw so many podcasts covering some of these cases yeah um 
but you know, I'm clearly not doing like as deep of a dive as yeah. some of these other podcasts might have. I'm more just talking about like the attempted magic. Uh, of yeah, it. yeah, for uh, sure. The the attempted magic. <laughs> the attempt. The absolute like fucking botching of magic. Yeah, the the face plant that <laughs> these psychic detectives did. And there's like definitely more cases I found of psychic detectives failing. Um, than there are of psychic detectives succeeding. There was one really funny one that I think is very relevant to our current time where the psychic detective failed, but all of her marketing said that she succeeded. And to this day, there are still people that believe that the psychic detective cracked the case when really she just marketed that she did. Uh, uh, well, okay, because you know how she could do that? She'd be like, well, they didn't believe me, but I solved it. I did that. <laughs> so it's like Trump, like, I won the election by a lot. <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really good TikTok out there. Yeah, some guy doing his tweets as uh, Hobo Johnson. Oh, so good. It's so good. Look so it up. So good. But yeah, like I, and I think you know, maybe my issue with this is that this is not what psychic work is intended to do. This is not the work that I do. This is not the work that I know of anyone else doing. Um, I think psychics' jobs are spiritual leaders and guidance for people and being a confidant and being part of, like, a healthcare team, basically. And I think that's the work that we should be doing, not trying to solve things based off of, like, nothing. Because the messages you get are so glib sometimes. And they're so, like, out there. And they can mean so many things. Like, you could... What a fish means to me does not mean the same thing that it means to you. It does not mean that it lists, that it's the same thing as, like, the listener. And so, therefore, you're taking all of these, like, random bits of nothingness and saying, no, 100% very clearly this is what it is. When, like, that's not your fucking job. If you're a basketball player, don't go play baseball. You don't know how to do that. Like, it's not the same thing. But, anyway. well, there's also this, like, feeling in American culture, the the, the Spider-Man uh, philosophy. With great power comes great responsibility. So if you, you know, if you're like, I have psychic gifts, then obviously you feel like you have to use them to the maximum effect doing the highest intensity thing in order to, like, fulfill the the calling of your power. The calling of psychics is to be a spiritual guide for people. That is what the work you are supposed to be doing is. Full stop. That's it. That's the thing. Um, you should be offering people peace, comfort, and guidance. That's it. Like, that's what you should do as a psychic. Not uh, any of this. And, like, I understand where that can get very crossed over because if you're an empathetic person with a lot of compassion and you want to take care of someone and you're like, I know that I can do the best thing, which is take care of this family that's had this horrible tragedy happen to them. But that becomes an issue when it's no longer about the family and it's about you being right. The second you go into your ego, the second you're doing it for you, the second you use it for advertising, the second you put $400 an hour out there and have police departments hire you to do this, you are no longer doing the work you're here to do. Um, I think that because like there are psychic detectives that are successful but i think at the end of the day it's kind of like you know like i do a lot of voice acting mm -hmm. right and the number one tip that i get from professional voice actors and you know just other other people in the field is well first step be a good actor mm -hmm. then you can work on the voice acting part mm -hmm. um so i think that the psychic Detectives are kind of doing it backwards. Like, first step, be a good detective. Like, yeah. learn criminology, learn detective work, learn forensics, you know, learn psychology, 
And then if you have psychic gifts, sure, that's icing, right? That's just the icing. It's right. not the cake. Right. And I think because that's like we were talking about this yesterday because um, there's a new documentary on Netflix that's about um, a temple in or it's about a pyramid in Egypt. And one of the archaeologists um, has is like digging out the bones and they're giving her the bones and she's um, dusting them off and like inspecting them and figuring out like piecing together this family that was buried in the pyramid and kind of what happened to them and there's a scene that was like really really powerful for me in which she was holding a leg bone and she was like it's twisted so that tells me that something happened it was broken and this is how it healed and she says i'm trying to feel them or I'm feeling them, or I'm, I'm trying to. And she lays down the bone and then immediately goes to touch her leg, and you can tell it's hurting her. So that's a person who's an empath who's doing this work. And I think that that's great. And there's so many people who are empaths. Like, a huge amount of the population in the world is highly sensitive and empaths and psychic, and they just don't have the training or like that's that's not the first thing that they are and i think if you're a detective who can use psychic work that's awesome you don't go into train i'm not going to train myself on how to be a psychic and then say that i'm a police officer who can solve crimes that's not what i've been trained in yeah, you're that's not, not my job you're not flaxman low i'm not flaxman low <laughs> although by god i will be like i just think that that's like to me i just think that you know there's there's purity. You got it. You got it. You have to keep it pure and you have to remember why you do the work. Otherwise, you will be one of these people and you will become a fraud. And then people will laugh at you on some shitty podcast. So that's what they get for that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I like your story about the person in Egypt. Um, there's a, in my anthropology class that I had a bit ago, um, we studied this anthropologist, Margaret Mead. Mm -hmm. And there's this famous quote of hers that goes around the Internet, but it was also in our textbook where, you know, people asked her, like, what is the first thing you look for when you look for a civilized society? Is it the tools? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, the that they were the, like cooked meat? And she was like, no, I look for a bone that's been broken. Or a mm -hmm. leg bone that's been broken that has been healed because that means somebody took the time to take care of this person while their bones healed. And like animals yeah, don't usually don't do, do that. that. Um, but when somebody starts doing that for other people in their, you know, their community. It's a civilized society. That's when you know, like, this is where civilized society is hit. When we learn to take care of each other mm -hmm. in that way. Um, yeah. Anyway, just a tidbit. Um, We're having a, I'm just having a lot of opinions about this. Apparently, I'm just upset about this whole thing. It's fine. <laughs> well, Sorry. <laughs> well, in, in part two, we're going to cover some of the success we'll stories uh, of psychometry and some psyche detective work that actually worked out. Yeah. Uh, now, L. Do you want to try some psychometry? Yeah. We have uh, an object from Dorothy, a uh, supporter she's a of the show. She's a stancy. She's our original, like, Mancy Stan. Yeah, she's a stancy. So yeah. we're going to do her reading for her. And she's dropped off a little stuffy, I guess. It's a, a little stuffed animal. A little stuffy and a sticky note with a question on it. Because um, we're doing those COVID times. So yeah. um, we just got it from her. We didn't get to talk to her. So this is kind yeah. of the. Yeah. And uh, the sticky note, uh, to paraphrase, says, um, what childhood trauma have I forgotten about and how is it holding me back? Cool. And I'm assuming this is some kind of childhood toy. It's a beanie baby. Yeah. The spider eggs inside have not hatched.
Alrighty, so this cute little guy, he's like a pink elephant. Um, he's got some sort of, is it like a weight maybe of love on his mm -hmm. tummy? <laughs> yeah, it looks like a, just an iron weight. He's a Care Bear. He's a Care Bear elephant. I'm pretty sure that's what he is. Yeah, he has got beans in his butt. He's got a cute little, got a little, little cutie got mark. A little, yeah, cutie like, mark. Yeah, for my little pony. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so this is from Dorothy. Um, I well, like the first thing <laughs> that I get is just like overwhelmed with um, joy, and I'm also like touching every little part of it. Like I feel like I want to like hold all of him. Like I want to, um, uh, um, it's like a sensory thing. Like when she was little, she would like touch like the trunk and the arms um and that was like a way for her to like work on her motor skills basically is what i'm seeing is like this was like a very important special thing that she would do to like connect with him um and it's just full of a lot of joy and a lot of care and a lot of love and i'm kind of being uh reminded of or being shown grandma um like one of your grandmas like giving it to you i think i'm pretty sure um Yes, big hit on that. And just the energy of him holds so much. Um, and I would say there's as much um, joy as there is pain in a lot of ways. And I feel like a lot of the pain kind of attached to him has to do with uh, growing up and letting things go. Like when you have to um, just become an adult and just let some things go or just not care about things as much. And... Um, there it's um what i'm being shown is like a um an event or an occurrence when you were six years old that um kind of marked the end of a lot of your childhood of like in that moment you couldn't play anymore you couldn't pretend anymore there was no longer the innocence that you had anymore like it just was this time when everything was changed um drastically for you and um I think in a lot of ways that is what you hold on to. And I'm not necessarily seeing something like really horrendous. Like I'm not picking up on anything that is like horrible or horrifying to talk about. It's not haunted or cursed. Uh, uh the, what? The object? Yeah, Sorry. the object. <laughs> the object is not haunted or cursed. Um, you asked that question when I was still reading and it was like, my brain was like, we need a minute to boot. What does that mean? Um, well, I, I don't know that I would say that. I think, I mean, aren't all things haunted? It just depends on what you're haunted by, if it's good or bad. I mean, everything is haunted on stolen land. Well, yeah, also... It just is. I mean, anything that you own is haunted. And even though we have a negative connotation, it doesn't mean it's always negative. Um, and that's kind of like the thing that this little guy carries is like so much of like the good and the bad. And it's like you would be remiss to not mention all of the bad things that came with the good. OK, to answer your question, what childhood things are we holding on to that we need to let go of or that we need to process? I'm not a big fan of you letting go of things. I really think that you need to hold on to them, but you just need to understand them better. So this event that happened when you were six um, feels like a moment 
when you were asked to grow up or when you were asked to behave differently. Um, I don't know that this little guy was there in that moment. Like, I don't get the image of him being held by you when it was happening. But I see you, like, grabbing him and kind of holding on to him um, after the event. Like, when you were crying or when you were processing, when you were working through whatever happened. Um, and I honestly think that he holds on to a lot of that stuff. Like, he holds on to a lot of those memories. And it's so weird because the front of him, his little white tummy, is, like, a very different texture than the rest. Like, it feels really hard and rigid. Um, and it's almost like he's holding on to all of that stuff. Like, he took it from you. And he's like, I'm just going to hold on to it. We're just going to tuck it away. And then you don't have to feel it anymore. Um, and it's it's time to kind of acknowledge that. It's also time for you to figure out a way to... Um, balance growing up and being forced to grow up with being childlike. Like in a lot of ways, you oversimplify or you over indulge your childlike senses because sometimes it's too hard to be an adult. But then in a lot of other ways, you want to be seen as an adult. And so really, you need to combine those two. Um, and that the kind of trauma or the thing that you're having a hard time getting over is whatever happened when you were six. It doesn't. And like I said, it doesn't feel like this huge like looming th what was that did you just my, see my that? knuckle no there it was like a like a thing like floated down like it looked like a little wisp oh, probably just uh specter hair for my cat or, or it, a dog, it didn't dog land hair. anywhere no, no it didn't land anywhere and no. it was white okay Seen ghosts um it's fine i think we haunted our studio last week with the ouija board <laughs> <laughs> we've been having some creepy feelings today but anyway um yeah, that was totally a ghost. It's like attached to this little guy. Um, also, oh, the, the ghost is attached to it. Like one of them. Okay. Yeah, there's like there's like a lot. There's a lot that's like what I'm seeing is like this image of like just stuffing all of the things that are not working or that are broken, like that she couldn't process when she was little into his little tummy. And I know that when she was growing up, her house was haunted. I know that. And so I feel like there's just some, like, ghosts that are attached to it. Um, anyway, I'm trying to talk about this event. Whatever it was that happened when you were six that was, like, your parents yelling at you. You, like, having, like, losing a childhood hero. You having, like, some sort of, like, oh, crap, now I have to grow up. Um, whatever that thing is, you have a really hard time understanding that that was where a lot of choices were made for you. And a lot of trauma responses were bonded to that. And a lot of the ways that you behave like with your mother and you behave with your father and other people that are significant in your life, that has become, that is what has grown into the issues that you're having today or into the things that you're struggling to um, understand. And I feel like this little guy can help you with that, can be kind of a comfort now and, um, you're intuitive, you know, when you feel things. And so I think sometime when you're brave enough to kind of get into the belly of the beast, as it were, um, it's good. That would be a good time to address it with him. Yeah, there's just so much like melancholy and so much joy attached to him, which is kind of interesting. You know what I think is interesting? Saying that was a specter hair. Does not let people know that it's not ghosts. <laughs> not ghost. <laughs> they don't know my just... cat's name is Spectre. <laughs> it's like a Spectre hair. Is that a paranormal terminology? No, no it's just my, just, cat's it's cat. is, my cat's name. My cat's name is Spectre. Yeah, I've I've got some on my microphone. You can yeah, hear everywhere. You do. Um, well, no, this looked like um, 
like a will-o'-the-wisp, like coming out of the microphone and falling onto the table. And I thought it was like a fluff. So I like looked at it and then it did not land anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't land on the table. So, and I also think that that spirit that kind of came down is a six-year-old little boy who is attached to you kind of as a playmate in that time. And it just feels like a little boy who um, lived near the house that you're, that you grew up in and like a neighborhood boy who kind of found you because you could see him and became friends with you. Um, yeah. And he played with the, the, uh, the elephant too. He was trying to tell me a name, but I don't know the name. There's some name, like there's a name for this little guy, but I don't, I can't find it. He reminds me of Bing Bong from Inside Out. Bing Bong. Bing Bong. <laughs> uh, it's just them like trying to like launch off the, and he dies. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So the, it's like the trauma stuff is like whatever happened to you when, when you were six. Also, there's a little ghosty guy who's attached to this. It's a six-year-old little boy who kind of found you when you were young. That was a playmate that played with him with you. Um, and he wants to be acknowledged and kind of helped along. Um, like we could send him some Reiki. We could do some things to kind of help him uh, detach and move to the other side. And also this little guy literally has like in the belly of the beast again is like this little part in here. It just feels like there's it's so full of so much stuff that it's becoming time for you to process. And it's time to kind of gather your courage and face those things. That's very well, okay, Dorothy, uh, I hope that was helpful uh, in our newly haunted studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> with a lot of ghosts. Yeah. Uh, we managed to get through so many recording sessions without the ghosts yeah. being around Elle, no longer. Elle was like, you know, I had to go to the bathroom and I was like, you're going to leave me alone in the creepy room. I'm like, this room is only creepy because of the creepy shit we did in it. Yeah, we uh, made it. This is like, <laughs> this is a thing that we have made. I, I use the studio to record many audiobooks and like commercials. <laughs> voiceover commercials and it's been fine until now until now it's also like the it's inside a community college and it feels so abandoned like this it whole does. college because of covid so that that and everybody knows empty schools are the spookiest fucking thing next to empty they hospitals are. well they hold so much energy yeah the worst the worst place i've ever been was when my dad fell off of a mountain and i had to like fly out to go take care of him in maine and the like hospital um was like the hotel had a connected hospital and so you would like go in the tunnels to get to the hotel which is where i was staying <laughs> and i shit. yeah and i would go into the basement and it was like a 19 it was built in the 1900s and it was used to be like dormitories for nurses that oh, would live God. in there and um I like the first night that I got there, I had been traveling for eight hours. It took no, it took 12 hours to get there. And I almost like didn't make my last flight. And I was trying to get to my dad to take care of him. And I had to walk through the scariest hospital, like the scariest place I've ever been in my life. And it was a uh, part of a hospital that was just abandoned. And there were like old stretchers and like gowns out. And I was like, there's some fucking ghosts in here. <laughs> but yes, uh, abandoned schools, empty schools and empty hospitals have that same creepy vibe and this little ghosty guy is all about the vibe he likes the little creepiness because he's the ghost is kind of funny like he's like a trickster and he would like move the elephant around like he would uh put it um like if it was like on a desk he'd like put it in the chair or he'd like move it like just slightly like just enough 
to like fuck with Dorothy. <laughs> so he's just kind of a little like trickster spirit that was kind of happy for a friend. He's the one that's attached to this guy. Well, that was part one on our coverage of psychometry. In part two, uh, we're going to go for psychic detective success stories. And Elle is actually going to read an object of mine. I lived in this creepy polygamous house <laughs> um, that's over 100 years old that people literally moved out because they said it was so haunted. And uh, I got away with it by just like ignoring, by not believing in ghosts and, <laughs> and uh, succeeded in living there for nine years. But one of the furniture pieces that was left in the house was this old rocking chair. And it was like the only piece of furniture I had because I was just coming out of homelessness. So I was like sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag, but I had this rocking chair and that became my gaming chair for literally from like 2010 to now. Yeah. Uh, and it finally got retired. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's so old. It's fallen apart. Like I super glued it together so many times. <laughs> and then finally the whole back just like snapped while I was playing Overwatch. <laughs> and like the whole arm piece just detached from the whole thing. Um, and so I roundhouse kicked it the rest of the way off uh, today. And then we brought it into this empty community <laughs> college in a backpack to do a recording about ghosts. Yeah, and nobody asked questions about why we, we have just a, this fucking arm. Hello! Yeah. <laughs> why we just like... have this like chair arm, this old wooden <laughs> chair arm that looks like a weapon somebody would pull out of the ground in yeah. a zombie apocalypse. But um, yeah, so that's going to be exciting. Hit us up on Patreon and L uh, will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mancy. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you like my writing, you can pick up my books and stuff like that at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you want to get a reading from me, you can find me on my Twitter at Laurels of Lux. Also on Etsy at Laurels of Lux. Pretty much most social medias at Laurels of Lux, though I'm still building them out. Um, yeah, and if you want a reading, can't afford one, follow my Twitter. I routinely give away readings. I do one question readings. I do um, readings in return of donations to homeless shelters, that kind of stuff. So if you want a reading but can't really afford one, I can help take care of you. And uh, we also do readings in exchange for TikTok reactions. Yeah, we uh, do. And our TikTok is Mancy Podcast. I also do readings for so many things. So if you've got something you think I might want that you want to trade for, I'm more than happy to talk about it. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Arthi Vinke, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs> <laughs>